Hey, everybody. Welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Oh, good morning. Shabbat shalom to everybody. Um, and thank you for, for being here. Thank you for having me. My name is George Santos. Lee Zeldin really paved the way for all of us in New York. <laughs> Lee has served as an inspiration, as a friend, and as a leader for, for the Jewish folks in Congress and for all of us in this room, by at point one point being just two members. So now we're going to be three. <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to be three. <laughs> you know, I never said I was Jewish and, until I said I'm a proud American Jew. And there's now going to be three. But I never said I was Jewish. Uh, that, of course, is the very Jew-ishy George Santos, or as I like to say, the very Jewishy-washy George Santos. And I actually made that up so that nobody steal that. Jewishy-washy. You heard it here first. Uh, we're going to get to George Santos in a moment. And uh, I'm very excited that we actually are going to talk about George Santos with the man who once held his seat, uh, former Congressman Steve Israel, uh, who just a few short years ago was in the District 3 seat on Long Island that George Santos, the hot seat that George Santos is soon to occupy. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, we have a little breaking news. The House Ways and Means Committee came through on what they voted um, and said they were going to do, which is to release uh, six years worth of Donald Trump's tax returns. Also this week, with regard to Donald Trump, uh, there was a boatload of transcripts that were dumped by the J6 committee. But I, I really don't want to spend much time at all on Trump anymore right now, year end. This is our year end show. And we all know that the guy is just a god dang thief and he's corrupt and he's a traitor and there's really nothing in transcripts that could be released that's going to make us go oh my god right so i mean you know okay donald trump jr he was corrupt and he was conspiring and okay great so we're not going to spend any time on that and as far as his tax returns go we know he's a broke ass fraud so we already know that so let's get to george santos I mean, this it just just when you think this party, the Republican Party, can't get any worse, that it can't get any more surreal, that they just can't be any more loathsome, along comes George Santos to make us go, you know what? You were wrong. This is a guy who has basically lied about everything, everything. His education, he said he went to Horace Mann, Baruch, NYU. His work experience, said he worked at Citigroup, Goldman, lied about his finances and his charitable contributions. He said he was a landlord. He said he had four employees killed at the Pulse nightclub shooting back in 16 or 17, 16, I think. Lied about his mother. She was like a pioneering corporate businesswoman. And he lied about their heritage and, and the fact that his mother, his parents uh, escaped the Holocaust. Uh, their name was Zabrowski. They were Ukrainian Jews. Zabrowski. I mean, literally everything on his resume is fabricated. It's not just unconscionable. It's, and I, I was going to say unfathomable, but it is kind of fathomable, isn't it? This is a guy who's, who's literally up until a, a sh sh couple of short years ago, had multiple evictions from every apartment he lived in, in Queens. Uh, he worked for a company that was uh, brought up on charges of conducting a Ponzi scheme. He, and he started his own company. He charged that company for personal clothing, meals, travel. He's an insurrectionist. He was at the, the riots on J6. He also said he would pay for legal expenses for those arrested. He lent his campaign $700,000, just like, I think, a year after he reported a salary of $50,000. Like, where the hell am, 
he got this money is is what needs to be investigated and is going to be investigated. His company, which is called the DeVolder Organization, which he claims got a couple of new $2 million contracts last year, uh, it's involved in, quote, deal building and, quote, specialty consulting for a network of 15,000 wealthy people, family offices, endowments, and institutions. And he actually gave an example. He said, like, so let's say somebody has, like, a, a Mercedes-Benz that they want to sell. I, I broker the deal, and I get a commission. So he just, like, puts together deals, but all of a sudden he's now making, like, a million dollars. And not only funding his own campaign, but giving money to other people, other people running for office, which is using camp, his campaign funds to donate campaign funds to other candidates, which is pretty unheard of. So... We learn that the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn and the Nassau County DA opened up investigations this week investigating the possibility of crime involving his finances and his lies about his background and whether big donors illegally funneled money to him. So let's say they pretend to be clients and they put money in his company. Then he takes that money and he puts it into politics. That's a major violation of campaign finance laws. He also lied about having a tax-exempt charity, Friends of Pets United, a rescue organization. Apparently the IRS and the New York and New Jersey Attorney General's Office have no records of a registered charity with that name. And you know, there's always some kind of twisted irony in any one of these kind of situations. And the irony here is that it took Tulsi Gabbard, Tulsi Gabbard, of all people, who was subbing for Tucker Carlson the other night. This guy, Santos, went on that show thinking he's going to be met with a lot of defense and ass-kissing and the usual, like, you know, we don't care what you do as long as you're a MAGA or you're a Republican. Well, she ripped him a new one, didn't she? I mean, she said to him, these are blatant lies. And it calls into question how your constituents and the American people can believe anything that you may say when you're standing on the floor of the House of Representatives. Have you no shame? Kudos to Tulsi. Didn't know she had it in her. And, and you know, everybody talks about the media. They never hold politicians accountable. Why can't they push back more, be more aggressive? There's just some kind of crazy irony that it took Tulsi Gabbard of all people, to be someone in the media, she was hosting a show on Fox News, to do it. So maybe there's a lesson to be learned there by the rest of them. And there's a lot of blame to go around here. You can blame the media. You can blame Democrats. You can blame Republicans. You can blame Robert Zimmerman, who he was running against. You know, where was the oppo research, blah, 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 blah. But they we're now learning that they all, they all knew. They all knew who Santos was. There's a tiny little paper on Long Island called the North uh, Shore Le- uh, Leader. And they broke a story in September. That's four months ago. Four months ago, they called him out for being a total fraud. But the problem was, and we're going to get into this a little more with Congressman Israel, is that they just wrote him off. They wrote him off. He's not going to win. Not going to win. But what I find so astounding is that after Trump won, after Boebert won, after Gates won, after Gosar won, after Marjorie Taylor Greene won, after all these lunatics won, they still, in 2022, said, oh, that lunatic can't win. And guess what? He won. So there's a lot of, of uh, analysis that's going to need to take place to find out just what the hell happened. So we'll get into that with the congressman. And because this is our year end, we thought we would end 
on a, a laudatory note by passing out some awards for the year, as well as offer our predictions for the coming year. So I'm going to start with the awards. I think are all obvious, in my opinion. Uh, the Douche of the Year Award goes to Elon Musk. The Patriot of the Year Award, Liz Cheney. The Coward of the Year, it's a tie. Mike Pence and Kevin McCarthy. And uh, this one is going to be a little bit of a hard one for you guys to figure out. So I'm just going to throw it out there and you tell me. Matt, Jen, you tell me who you think I'm, I'm talking about. See, the Diabolically Evil, Corrupt, Jew-Hating, Racist, Traitor, Sociopath Award of the Year. Uh, year of the Year Award. It's a challenge. Who, who, who could that be? It's really hard to figure I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again because I want to make sure you guys understand it. The Diabolically Evil, Corrupt, Jew-Hating, Racist, Traitor, Sociopath of the Year Award. Who could that be for? It's Jeff? a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Uh, we're just going to have to... It's go. Trump! What's oh, wrong? Oh, my God. What's wrong with you guys? Never would have guessed. <laughs> my God. Maddie? If you would just war- said it, they had small hands... <laughs> And a small mushroom-shaped peen, as Howard Stern likes to say. I love people who use that word, a small peen. Um, But they say small hands means small gloves, right? Okay, Uh, Maddie, awards? Uh, Yeah, my my awards, I'm going to go for overlooked heroes and villains. So for my hero, I'm going to go with retired police lieutenant Aaron Salter. He was in Buffalo on May 14th when a disgusting racist scumbag came in to kill... 10 people, and he uh, fired, hit the person, but they were wearing body armor. They returned fire, and he was killed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with that as my good one, somber mm-hmm. hero of the year. My other heroes are all of the election workers who worked through 2022 with enormous physical mm-hmm. threats in order to preserve our democracy. And finally, for our villains, uh, unusual villains, because usually I don't think of police as being villains, but I'm going to give my villain award to the Uvalde Police Department, who took 78 fucking minutes Mm. to come in and while children were bleeding out, Mm -hmm. 21 people died that day. We don't know how many would have lived if they had just done what they were supposed to do. Mm. Touche. That's great, Matt. Um, The first annual... Backroom Big Balls Award <laughs> goes to my idol, uh, the queen, the person that I want to be when I grow up, Nancy Pelosi. Mm. Um, co I just, mm-hmm. uh, so much respect for holding together, shall we say, an eclectic group of Democrats. Mm, holla. <laughs> and, um, I meant, that's holla, actually holla. holla. I wasn't being <laughs> musical or okay. culturally relevant or anything. I was just being a little Jewishy-washy. <laughs> Really, without her, I think uh, the J6 commission wouldn't have had the same impact. Mm-hmm. You know, we watched two impeachment hearings, and I mean, she's just, she's the bomb. And she uh, is. thank you, Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Amen, sister. Predictions Trump will be indicted. Kevin McCarthy will not be speaker. Joe Biden will run again. And last but not least, I'm going to throw this in there. It's new. It's topical. Our Jewishy-washy friend, George Santos, if he's actually seated, he will be gone very soon after. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb and say he's going to resign. Hmm. Matt, predictions? I, 2023? I have two categories of predictions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do predictions in tech and predictions in politics. Mm-hmm. In tech, I think Lena Khan, head of the Federal Trade Commission, is going to be a hero. She is going to finally 
really put the hammer down on Amazon and on Twitter for violating uh, numerous things that Twitter's doing. A mm-hmm. uh, little quick tech prediction. Apple will finally come out with an iPhone that has a USB port in 2023. And not to be outdone, Google will come out with their own AI interface to compete. And we're going to see some interesting things in search. Finally, in politics, I agree Trump will be indicted in two jurisdictions, both the feds and in Manhattan at the very least. And Georgia. Uh, and Georgia, but I'm not, I'm still iffy about that, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pretty more positive about the other two, but I'm perfectly happy to take all three. Um, and finally, I agree with you about George Santos. I think by mid, I do think he's going to be seated though. I think by mid January, we're going to have lettuce cam up and lettuce will beat George Santos just like it did with Liz mm. Truss. Those are my predictions. Head of lettuce. I'm going a uh, local level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that uh, Republicans and conservatives will continue their very successful local seatings, um, especially at the Board of Ed level. And uh, that will play out with uh, the continued book banning that you're seeing across the United States. And that's my prediction. Cool. I have one more. All right. I I think the Backroom podcast is once again going to hit number one in Latvia. I'm not going to say when, but I know it's coming. So on that note... Let's get to Steve Israel. He was a United States congressman for Long Island's districts two and three from 2001 to 2017. He served on the House Armed Services Committee and the Appropriations Subcommittee on Defense. He also spent four years as chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, known as the DCCC, before leaving Washington, as he likes to say, unindicted and undefeated. He did so to pursue new passions. And in 2021, he opened a small independent bookshop, Theodore's Books, in Oyster Bay, Long Island. In a town known as Oyster Bay, Long Island. And he directs the nonpartisan Institute of Politics and Global Affairs at the Jeb S. Brooks School of Public Policy at Cornell University. He's published two critically acclaimed satires of Washington, The Global War on Morris and Big Guns. And his commentary has appeared on CNN and MSNBC, as well as in the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, and The Atlantic, where he has a great op-ed this week, which we're going to talk to him about. Congressman, welcome into the back room. It's great to be with you. George Santos. Okay, so you held his seat. It's now a hot seat. So you know that area well. You know the politics of Long Island very well. You served in Congress. Uh, you wrote a, an op-ed in The Atlantic this week, which I thought was great. And it really spoke to the, the bigger issue, which is how this could have happened. And certainly there's a lot of blame to go around. You can blame, you can blame the media, although the North Shore leader you know, uncovered his fraud back in September. Uh, you could blame... Uh, Democrats, you can blame Robert Zimmerman, who he ran against, uh, for failing to do the right Apple research. But the truth is, and I think this is what you pointed to, it was my biggest takeaway from your piece, is that everybody did know, and they kind of just wrote it off because he's uh, he wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to win. The biggest party to blame was is was and is Republicans, right? Isn't that where you're coming from? Yeah, I think. Um the answer to the question that uh, everyone in politics is asking, how did this figment of his own imagination get elected to Congress? Uh, the answer is a combination of democratic complacency, uh, Republican extremism, uh, and um, uh, general complacency uh, in, in the electorate, and, and a decline in media and investigative resources. But it begins with George Santos. Mm-hmm. He is the culprit. He made a decision to engage in a willful pattern of deceit and lies. 
This goes way beyond the typical resume embellishment that so many people in politics engage in. Mm -hmm. This guy made himself up and lied about virtually every single element of, of his life. The second problem was, so, you know, he's the He's the culprit, but he had a co-conspirator, and that was the Republican Party, mm -hmm. which makes decisions on who it will run and nominate based on one thing and one thing only, and that is extremist ideology. And so if you fit the Trump bill, if you are an extremist, if you're out of the mold of Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert, they want you to run. Couldn't care less about your fundamental fitness to serve. Couldn't care less about what, whether your resume is true or false. As long as you check the box that you will be an ideologue and serve in the mold of Donald Trump and his cohorts, they'll give you the nomination. And that's what happened here. Mm -hmm. And but the thing that I find astounding is that when if one of the answers is, oh, we he's just he's not going to win. He can't win. He's too much of a quack. He's this. He's that. Have we learned nothing from the victories of Trump and Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar and Matt Gates and all these quacks who, who are now serving or did serve? It's like we've learned nothing. And, and guess what? The quack, the liar, the guy who shouldn't be in Congress is going to be sworn in in a week. Yeah, it's a, uh, Andy, it's a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. Well, it's a, it's a self-defeating prophecy, I should mm -hmm. say, because... These people, if they're not covered by, by local journalism, if they're written off by the press and their misdeeds are not reported, well, guess what? Their lies are not exposed. And if their lies are not exposed, the voters will buy the narrative. And mm -hmm. when voters buy a narrative, they're going to vote for you. Uh, and so one of the things that I worry uh, very deeply about over the long term is the decline in democratic norms that is accelerated by the lack of investigative journalism resources uh, at the local level. You're seeing a consolidation of newspapers, particularly in the suburbs. And as they consolidate, they just don't have the bandwidth to investigate a guy like George Santos, even when they had a sense that the guy was lying. And what was their response when asked to investigate? He's not going to win. He's not a story. We don't need to bother. Well, he won. And that was very much a story. And but, but the New York the the, uh, the North Shore leader, yes. you know, they to your point, they did their job, they did their homework, they presented it in the best way they could because they're a small little Long Island paper. You know, New York Times, everybody's talking about the Times. Oh, they did this big expose. But that was like a week. Was that a week ago? <laughs> like he's already been elected. So you know that information was out there, and the fact that that it didn't catch on like wildfire in this toxic partisan tribal tribalistic climate is is kind of crazy but i think you know you you write about voters speaking of voters you wrote that you know they're uh, um in your district the it was like mellowness bordering on apathy and then you also say that you know they're basically left of center on social issues right of center on taxes and spending and concerned about preserving their quality of life so they're kind of like apolitical. The district typically leans left, right? So, but what do you think happens there now? Like, if I was living in that part of New York and I voted for George Santos, uh, I'd be. I mean, he defrauded his his constituents. Yeah. What happens yeah. on the part of voters? Where do they go? And then I want to get to well, what I, happens I, in the House. But in, sure. just in terms of voters, what happens? 
Uh, I've witnessed uh, buyers, uh, the buyer's remorse uh, in a very uh, personal and real-time way. Uh, after leaving Congress, one of the things I did is I opened up my own little bookstore uh, in Oyster Bay, Long Island. Mm -hmm. And so now I get to, to talk with people, not because they're constituents, but because they just love to read books and they're curious. And I have to tell you, since the story broke, a steady parade of people coming into my, uh, my bookstore, Theodore's mm -hmm. Books saying I voted for him, but I, I, I feel uh, hoodwinked. I feel like, uh, I, I mean, I was lied to. I will never, I will never do it again. Uh, and so his political future is over. In fact, the local Republican Party uh, has announced that they will not support or endorse him uh, or nominate him in, in 24. Mm -hmm. So his political career is done. It is finished. The problem is that until he leaves, either because he doesn't run in 24 or because he's expelled from Congress, which is unlikely to happen, mm -hmm. or he resigns, until he leaves, his dream has come true. He has a seat in the United States Congress. He's collecting his $175,000 salary paid for by the taxpayers. Mm -hmm. He gets the benefits that members of Congress get. Many of those benefits are exaggerated, but he gets those benefits. And he's got two years to do basically nothing. That is part of the fraud that has been perpetrated on the people that I used to represent. Mm -hmm. And so that sounds like, at least for the next two years, not much, if anything, is going to happen to him. That's what I'm hearing. You well, say. it's unclear. Uh, it's unclear because um, the the story has triggered the following investigations. Mm -hmm. The Nassau County District Attorney has announced that she is investigating. Mm -hmm. She, by the way, is a Republican. Mm -hmm. uh, the New York State Attorney General has announced that she is investigating. The U.S. Attorney's Office has announced that it will be investigating. Mm -hmm. Once he's in Congress, you can expect uh, an investigation to be convened by the House Ethics Committee. Uh, and perhaps by the professional and independent Office of Congressional Ethics. So controlled by, control by Republicans. Well, no, actually. So the House, uh, no, the House nope. Ethics Committee uh, is completely bipartisan. Now, it will oh, have a okay. Republican share, but it is completely bipartisan. and It has an equal number of Democrats and, and, and Republicans. Mm -hmm. The Office of Congressional Ethics, which was authorized as one of the first things that Nancy Pelosi did when she became speaker in uh, 2006, is completely independent, professional. It has an independent board of directors. It can make its own referrals to mm -hmm. the Ethics Committee, and it has its own resources. So Mr. Santos uh, faces uh, a uh, quite a few layers uh, of investigations that, that he's going to have to defend from. So I, I guess my point, uh, thanks for that correction, but I guess my ultimate point <clears throat> is in a Republican-controlled Congress where if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker, uh, it uh, or whoever becomes speaker, it's going to be with a, a, just a, a small handful uh, margin. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Republican Party can literally not afford to lose that seat, uh, which would be what happens if he's ex uh, if there's expulsion, and then there'd be a special election. Like that doesn't seem like a likely uh, course of events. So is is it would it all just be slap on the wrist kind of performative? Maybe he's maybe this censure. Uh, may, maybe maybe he's kept off a committee. But can 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 you do that? Could Kevin McCarthy do that today with Marjorie Taylor Greene, the real speaker behind him? Could he actually keep Santos? off committees 
Like so that well, so that speaks to like yeah. what really is going to happen to Santos. Okay, so let's uh, that's a good question. I, I was talking about some of the legal uh, and official challenges he will have. Let's talk about the politics. Or just practical. Years. You know, that's what's going to drive uh, the the future in this. Um, so you are absolutely right that Kevin McCarthy cannot afford to lose George Santos's vote on January third, just a few days away. Uh, it's a very slim margin. Uh, Santos already endorsed McCarthy. He needs that vote. So they've got to keep him in his seat at least until January 3rd. Then uh, McCarthy worries about what happens if Santos does resign. Mm -hmm. Uh, What happens if he is somehow expelled, which will never happen? Mm -hmm. What happens if that seat uh, is vacant and there's a special election? That's what will happen. If Santos leaves, the governor will call a special election. The last thing in the world that Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans want in their new majority is a special election. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's going to cost them probably about $5 million in a high-priced media market like New York. And I speak from uh, from experience. I chaired the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee mm-hmm. and ran eight campaigns for Congress in, in, in New York. So they don't want to have to spend 5 to $7 million uh, in a special election. Number two, remember, despite Santos's victory, now, this is a Democratic-leaning district. I held it, or most most of it, for 16 years. My successor, Tom Suozzi, held it for four. Joe Biden would have won it by eight points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they will most likely lose that special election. They do not want to start their, uh, their new majority with a loss. Mm-hmm. It creates a horrible narrative for them. It's going to dampen their fundraising going forward. And so I think you are right, Andy. I, my bet is, uh, with the with proviso that almost anything can happen, my bet is that their political imperative will be to just keep him in his seat, maybe have the Ethics Committee give him a censure, maybe have the Ethics Committee give him a light reprimand, knowing that he's not going to run in 2024 and let him just disappear. Mm-hmm. But will he disappear? Because, you know, when you have that 800-pound gorilla just staring at us every day, uh, yeah. not held accountable. It, it's almost like the, the problem becomes bigger, especially mm-hmm. when you look at everything else that's going on, when you have Trump having Nazis at the White House, when you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, uh, claiming there's Jewish space laser, lasers and, and, and pizza pedophiles and all this crazy. It's, it's just another, it's another scandal. It's, a, it's another example of how politics today has just gone off the cliff, and so it's it truly is going to be a horrible thing if if literally nothing happens to him, and he's just held up to us every single yeah. day, and he's in front of the camera, and he's on Fox News, and I'm going to get to that in one second with Tulsi Gabbard, but um, it's like with Trump, if he doesn't go away, if he's not held accountable, then they win, it wins, that kind of campaigning wins, and 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 truth and reality and good versus evil, like all of that dies. And so, um, but it's hard to imagine how it's actually going to end up uh, in a way that will satisfy not just Democrats, but moderate Republicans who are aghast at what he, what he's done. And to your point, you know, I think uh, this really uh, gets a little deep, gets deeper, uh, but it's so vitally important you know, Donald Trump was the first to bring us into this new age of performative politics, right? So he was the first, you know, series um, that aired on performative <laughs> politics. But then he spun off 
uh, all of these other series. He spun off Marjorie Taylor Greene. He spun off Matt Gates. He spun off Lauren Bobert. He spun off these hucksters and grifters and abusers of of of, uh, of of the public's patience. And George Santos is just the latest spinoff of mm-hmm. the performative politics that George, that uh, Donald Trump brought to us in 2016 and continues to this day. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I want to ask you, because there's a lot of talk about Santos uh, and why he did what he did. You know, all the people you've mentioned, with the exception, I think, of Trump, who I do think is a sociopath. You know, I don't think Marjorie Taylor Greene is a sociopath. I don't think Matt Gates is a sociopath. I, I think these are just cunning, evil people who will do anything to win. But do you think, do you think, given what we now know about George Santos, do you think he's a sociopath? Because he certainly seems like one. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I, 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 it's, I know you don't have a, a degree, comparison. <laughs> I mean, uh, a credentialed. Yeah. Uh, Look. A guy, I mean, he is in his own category, uh, and I'll give you some examples why. This is a guy who did two tweets um, alluding to the death of his mother. Yes. And each tweet had her die on a different day. Yeah. Um, That's sociopathic. Uh, This is a guy who claimed he was Jewish uh, and then was offended uh, that people didn't understand that when he said he was Jewish, what he really meant was Jewish. Ish. Yeah, I actually, like, I actually coined a phrase called "Jewishy washy." <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, that's great. So that's what so he is. So that 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 you know that is its own category mm-hmm. of of wacky. Um, but no, you know, so yes, he is in his own category, uh, and that does not make me feel particularly better <laughs> that he's not as bad as Gates uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Because at the end of the day, he still has a vote on the floor of the House of Representatives. Yeah. You know, he's still a sitting member of Congress. And, I, I and if he if he uh, doesn't get uh, held accountable, then he owes people who do, who uh, are making the exactly, decisions, you know. That's that's exactly right. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. And um, as scary. I said in my Atlantic piece, the, uh, the caucus of unhinged representatives, uh, the, the Greens, the Bobears, the mm-hmm. Gateses, has just increased by one. And yeah. that is George Santos. So there's always irony in things like this. And to me, the irony is that it took Tulsi Gabbard on Fox News to hold him accountable. Um, She basically called him a blatant liar. And then she said, have you no shame? Why doesn't, why can't the rest of the media, I mean, Tulsi Gabbard of all people, I mean, I'm sitting here as not a fan of Tulsi Gabbard. But I give her major props when she was sitting in that seat as a media personality. She did her job, and she did her job really well. Why can't the rest of the media do that? Well, I, I think the answer is on several levels. First, let me say I, I served with Tulsi Gabbard. Um, uh, her her journey, shall we say, is one of the strangest that I've seen. Uh, I worked with her uh, on issues like anti-ballistic missile defense in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. I always found her to be a reliable uh, and uh, reasonable uh, Democrat to work with. Uh, and then she had her own, shall we say, unique journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I was just as surprised as you were. Uh, I think Santos made a decision that he would go on Fox because he considered to be a friendly media outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is important to understand. It took him over a week to finally go out in public and explain. Mm-hmm. When, the new, when the time story broke, he said, in due time, 
I will explain what happened. I have my side of the story. And then he sat for a week, no comments. Then he decides that he's going to tell his story on a variety of right-wing or uh, far-right uh, or right-leaning media platforms. He goes on the, to the New York Post, and then he goes on a New York City radio show hosted by John Katsimatidis, uh, the supermarket magnate and former Republican candidate for mayor. And uh, Katsimatidis' co-host, by the way, ironically, for that interview is former Congressman Anthony Weiner, <laughs> only in New York. Can you have former Congressman Anthony Weiner interviewing incoming Congressman George Santos about scandal? Uh, he gets an okay reception uh, from the Post uh, and uh, and ABC uh, was the um, uh, was Katsimatidis' show. I don't want to say it was a friendly reception. It was fair. Uh, they didn't exactly excoriate him. And then where do you go from there? You go on Fox. And I think he was expecting uh, a uh, more sympathetic, understanding, uh, welcoming uh, interview. And Tulsi Gabbard let, let him have it. Mm -hmm. uh, and since then, he's been quiet again. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's not done uh, any additional um, media. It is sad that it took Tulsi Gabbard to really call the guy out and excoriate him. Uh, and... Um, I, I think it explains why he's decided to go virtually into hiding again. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds us of back in the early Trump days when the media had such a hard time calling him a liar. You know, if you remember all that, they would say he's, you know, spewing mistruths and misrepresentations yeah. and altering the facts. And like the rest of us are screaming, just call him a liar because yeah. that's what he is. Yeah. Now, of course, they call him a liar, but it obviously is too late. There just seems to be some kind of a problem in the mainstream media with just speaking the obvious like there it's almost it's, it's like there's a forced balancing you know and yeah. what aboutism that has to has to take place exactly. but uh um, they, they try and show objectivity and i, I get that um and uh, that that often is a disservice you, cre you create this more the sense of moral equivalence uh and but with it with respect to santos it's hard to be objective it's hard to achieve that moral equivalence and when tulsi gabbard on fox calls you out you know you're in trouble. Yeah, I wonder, I don't know if you have any details, like did he expect Tucker Carlson? Was that like a last minute subbing? Did he know that Tulsi Gabbard was going to be the host? I think that's an interesting thing because certainly Tucker Carlson would not have grilled him that way. Tucker Carlson would have patted him on the back and made him a hero. Um, yeah, and I, so, I don't know the inside story. I wonder if anyone does know that. But And then you end your op-ed with, and I quote, it's a shame for my old district, but it's more than that for the country. This should be a warning. There were failures on multiple levels in this election, leading someone unfit for office to attain it through willful deception. The chief casualty of this election was the truth. And the truth has been under fire for, it's been under fire for a long time, but not this way, mm -hmm. but, but under fire for the last seven years since Trump, as you pointed out. He changed that landscape. So it's it's so important that it just somehow gets reeled back, but I just don't know I don't know what it takes to reel it back to reality. You know, I uh I run the Cornell University Institute of Politics uh, and Global Affairs uh when I'm not selling books uh, on Long Island and we're we've been looking at that very topic. Um 
what's it going to take to restore demo- democracy and democratic norms? And uh, one of the the values that always uh, maintained democracy was a, a sense upon, uh, of agreed upon truths. We might not agree, our opinions may differ, but society always had kind of guardrails. And when the truth was really exploited, ignored, uh, and offended, there was a recognition of that. That's changed. Uh, it's changed in the past 15, 20 years, which means that one of the most important things we can do, Andy, to restore some balance and some agreed upon norms and some common ground on the truth uh, is to expand the resources for investigative journalism. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason that democracy has declined has been the consolidation of newspapers. In in the district that George Santos just won, uh, we have one dominant newspaper. They do a phenomenal job. They have a great investigative unit. They've done amazing work. But they have been consolidated. They have been under budget pressure. They have had an investigative team that was looking at a whole bunch of things. And now you have this Democratic uh, congressional candidate say, hey, I think this guy Santos is a fraud. And they look at it and they say, you know, we're we're working on other things. And oh, by the way, this guy's not going to win. So, um, you know, we'll we'll take a look at it, it, you know, if he wins. Democracy can't survive without the truth. The truth cannot survive without good journalism. Journalism journalism can't survive uh, if it continues to get consolidated, cut, and whittled away. Amen. Let's talk about Trump for a second, uh, since he, the genesis of all this really goes back to him. Do you think he's going to get indicted? And if so, where do you think is the most likely jurisdiction that he will face charges? I have to be honest. I just don't know. Uh, much to my mother's shame, I never went to law school. Uh, don't, uh, so I can't I can't make a judgment as to whether he's going to get indicted. I have heard. So so let, let's put that away. I just don't know for sure. And I don't want to uh, speculate because I'm just not informed enough. But let's then move to what I'm hearing from uh, from Republicans uh, who know him uh, and have a view uh, of his thinking and the thinking of his inner circle. Um, there is a theory uh, that he believes the only way for him not to be indicted is to run for president. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that will change the calculus, that it will just look so partisan and so political that he, uh, if not escapes indictment, he is insulated from it uh, and buys some time. And whether that theory is true or not remains to be seen, but it sure sounds plausible to me. Does it to you? Yeah. I mean, he's he's announced and he's running. He's certainly not a legitimate mm-hmm. candidate. He's I've read where he I don't think he's left Mar-a-Lago for the last 30 days. Like he hasn't he's not stumping. He's not demonstrating any qualities of a, of a legitimate candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't personally think that it, that it, it does insulate him. I think Justice Department is going to do what it has to do, whether he's running or not, especially given what you're saying. It's all a facade, you know. I mean, Merrick Garland's yeah. not stupid. He knows Trump is running. So it's a chicken and egg thing. It's like, okay, he's running. But we couldn't indict him because he was a sitting president. So what? What? when do you ever indict someone who's a massive criminal who either was a president or was now running again as a president? It can't insulate him. So my personal feeling is he, he is going to get anxi- indicted, and he's probably going to face that in the uh, federal grand jury over— um, uh, the, mm-hmm. the Mar-a-Lago documents case. I think Georgia is a very likely scenario for him in terms of prosecution. But, big but there, you know, he's Donald Trump. 
You never know. You, you just, just know. you just never know. <clears throat> but you know the. There is a new. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, there is a new political dynamic at play here, and that is for the first time since 2016, many Republicans uh, not only understand uh, his very deep deficiencies mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and his, his sheer craveness, but they found a way to manage him. They didn't know what to do with him in 2016. And I know this because I've spoken with them. Mm -hmm. They didn't know what to do with him. They Again, complacency. First, they didn't think he had a chance, so they mm -hmm. figured they'd ignore him. And by the time they realized they couldn't ignore him, it was too late. And then they couldn't figure out how to run against him, how to poke holes in him or anything else. Now they believe that they figured out how to manage him, how to exploit those vulnerabilities. Uh, and so he's got challenges in going into 24 within his own party that he did not have in 2016 and 2020. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that leads me to my next question, which, uh, which as someone who is a, f a, a former insider, and perhaps you still have a lot of uh, juice inside with certain folks, um, you know, you know, the system, you know how it works. Um, judging from what you see and hear, do you think he's done in the sense of them looking at him as their future? the way they used to or the way they did up until fairly recently? I think the cult figure is on the decline, but the movement uh, is continues to be very strong and very resonant with too many people. So Trump versus uh, Trumpism is what you're saying. Exactly. I just saw a recent poll that um, something like 47% of Republicans want any candidate other than, than Donald Trump. Uh, but they love his policies. Mm -hmm. So they want Trumpism but without Trump. Now, in fairness, uh, people say, wow, 47% of pro-Trump Republicans don't want him to, to run. In 2016, uh, I saw a poll that uh, something like 60% of Republicans didn't want him to run. Right. And they all fell into line. So when you have a cult figure, that cult figure is able to discipline uh, the rank and file. Um, but there is, there's no question in the members of Congress, you know, you said, you, you made a, a reference to uh, having been an insider and perhaps still uh, have that access. And I do. I talk to my former colleagues in Congress every single day, Republicans and Democrats. There is a consensus building among most Republicans that they cannot win in 24 with Trump at the head of the ticket. And he is going to have down ballot effects mm -hmm. and be a drag on the ticket. And so there is a political imperative to replace him, but replace him in a way that doesn't come back to haunt them. Mm -hmm. They don't want this guy tweeting, encouraging people to primary them. And right. so they're threading a political needle right now. But that's the, that's the same needle they've been threading for seven years. And it's, it's worked miserably. They've lost special election after special election. They've lost the midterm. I mean, it's since 2018, they've, they've, they've lost everything. So it does feel like there's certainly, that we've hit an inflection point where they realize that he's a loser and they're never going to win with him. But there's still that base or how, however uh, much the base has declined, because uh, the base basically is everyone who voted for him in 16, he did lose a chunk of that base. He still has the hardcore cultists, but uh, with his waning popularity within the party, um, he does seem like a wounded animal right now in a way that he never did before, you know.
Well, I think, you know, the inflection point was the 22 midterms. Now, they did win the majority in the House of Representatives, but Kevin McCarthy was out there saying they were going to win 60 seats and they just barely won. And there is a recognition that they barely won because rather than the midterm being a referendum on Joe Biden, you always want the midterm to be a referendum on the president in power. Always. If you're the out party, Republicans tried to make this a referendum on Joe Biden. But the Democrats made this a referendum on Donald Trump as well. Mm -hmm. And that choice, Trump versus Biden, explains why the Republicans underperformed woefully in the Senate Mm -hmm. uh, and underperformed uh, in the House. And so that was the canary in the coal mine. They don't want a repeat of that again in 24. And so they did wake up in 22. Not only that, but the media, the conservative media woke up. And one of my favorite all-time headlines, you're, you're a New Yorker, so I'm sure you saw this, was the New York Post, which was the, the choir for Donald Trump, mm-hmm. 2016 to recently, which was his own personal newsletter almost. When Donald Trump announced that he was running for president, they buried the headline. It was on the front page, but it was a banner at the bottom, and it said, Florida man makes an announcement. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when the New York Post has had it with you, yeah, you know. Well, that's my point. Him. You know, he's lost Rupert Murdoch. He's lost yep. a lot of his his support. The big donors have bailed. Um, uh, I think your point is well taken. When you know, if for some reason he manages to get the nomination, they'll they'll come right back because it's it's it becomes a binary choice between him and the other the other guy or the other woman, and if if it happens to be a woman, but um, it, it just. You still see the fealty, which is so bizarre. What do you think makes smart, accomplished people willfully flush their careers, their their legacies, their reputations down the toilet for this guy? Uh, uh, Pence is a perfect example. Okay, he's he's likely running for president. Trump tried to have him killed. I mean, you can't get worse than somebody trying to kill you, right? I mean, if you're going to be mad at someone, that's like the ultimate reason to get mad at someone. They they wanted you hung in the town square. Last A couple weeks ago, Pence was quoted as saying, I would hope that they would not bring charges against the former president. Yeah. What makes people like Pence still unable to condemn Trump the way he needs to be condemned? The first rule of politics is... Survival, uh, whether it's political survival or uh, coming president or governor or senator. And so even when you have these extraordinary um, events, including uh, a president who was goading uh, followers to kill you, there's still that sense of, you know, if I play this right, I can be president. Right. And I, I can uh, effectuate my values and my beliefs uh, and my policies. And so as horrific, as unimaginable as uh, it, it was, uh, I'm going to manage that uh, so that I still have a path to the presidency. And so I believe that was a long winded way of saying it is ambition. It is ambition that drives politicians to do things that others just wouldn't imagine doing. But in the case of Pence, where you're potentially vying to be the leader of the free world, the commander-in-chief, a, a job that requires uh, real gravitas and courage and character. Um, it's not a great uh, advertisement for him 
for him to say, I would hope they don't process. The man tried to kill you. Like, it's the, it's the epitome of cowardice and weakness, in my opinion. You know, I, but I, I do have to say, look, I think, yes, he tried to kill him or, or you know, he, he didn't, uh, he, he aired that view. Uh, Trump aired that view. But he look, tr- let's not he tried to kill. <laughs> let, let, he didn't say how, he just says, kill him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not kid ourselves. They believe in Trumpism. They believe in his policies. Yeah. You know, I'm not writing Donald Trump off. I think he has a path to the presidency. Sure. We need to be careful about that. And whether he has a path or not, his movement has a path. And his followers uh, are crowding that path. So they will do what they have to do and say what they have to do in fidelity to the principles of Trumpism, even if they have uh, a a very deep disdain for the guy who runs the cult. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the cult, uh, Kevin McCarthy, do you think he becomes speaker? Uh, I do. I'll put a qualifier on that. Uh, it's going to be turbulent. Um, the What it all comes down to is, is this. Kevin McCarthy will get the votes to become speaker if he makes some very serious concessions to the uh, the, the most uh, adamant and ardent of, of the Freedom Caucus. And, and here's what they want. They want him to agree that at any time during his speakership, a single member of Congress can file what's called a motion to vacate. A right. motion to vacate means... Uh, we want the Congress to vote on whether you should be stripped of your speakership. Now, under the current rules, the leaders of both parties in the House have to agree to that motion. Um, Gates uh, and and others, uh, Norman from Oklahoma and others, they want it left to a single member. Can you imagine if Lauren Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene can decide on their own that they're going to try and remove Kevin McCarthy. He may have the gavel, but man, it is just coated with grease. It's going to slip right out of his hands. If he agrees to that, he'll have the votes. But he may have the votes, but he's not going to have the gavel for very long. Right. He is. He's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm willing to expand the number of members. Uh, uh, or I'm sorry, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm willing to expand the number of people of members required for a motion to vacate. But not to. But I'm not going to leave it to one person. There are reports that he has counterproposed to them, uh, a uh, allowing 50 members or 30 members uh, to trigger a motion to vacate. Uh, and there are still some uh, hardcore Republicans who are saying no. It's it's just going to be one. It's all going to come down to that. January 3rd, there's going to be a ballot. If McCarthy doesn't win on the first ballot. It gets very interesting. It could mm-hmm. go to a second ballot, mm-hmm. third ballot. That's where mischief uh, really comes into play. So I think um, you can. Ex- I, I do believe he's going to win, but I don't think it's going to be a, a very neat or very pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I look. Marjorie Taylor Greene is is. You're talking about a witch who suddenly finds herself an unqualified witch finds herself probably in one of the most powerful positions in this country. Uh, mm-hmm. She is not the kind of person psychologically that's going to back off of that. She is going to capitalize on that currency as much as she possibly can. Um, and that does pose a huge problem for him if he does 
get in, in my opinion. What do you think of Liz Cheney? What's the future hold for her? I, I'm a big fan, not of her policies, but <laughs> right. but I mean, my God, the last few years where we needed people on the right to stand up for patriots, be patriots and stand up for democracy and the rule of law. I mean, she wins. She wins the award. But what what's what's ahead for her? Do you think? You know, whoever would have thought that um, we'd all be we as Democrats would be talking about how uh, wonderful Liz Cheney is. Yeah, um, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> as again, I chaired the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and at one point, I was trying to figure out how I could raise money for her uh, in, in in her race in no, Wyoming. She was out there stumping for Democrats. I mean, it's it, it that's yeah. kind of the 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 silver lining Heard. of the Trump year, Trump years is that he kind of yeah. united us in a way that he probably never intended. You know. There's no question. Uh, and Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, right. another uh, mm -hmm. member uh, who risked his career and, and may, may have lost his seat in Congress because he put democracy ahead of his own partisan politics. They they both should be commended. Yep. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I've, I've said for quite quite a few years, what has to happen for democracy to prevail in addition to uh, having stronger, more effective journalism is the Republican Party has to take itself back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've, I've said to, to people like Congressman Kinzinger and other Republican friends, take your party back. You know, don't surrender it. Don't allow it to be hijacked. We need to go back to the days where Republicans and Democrats could disagree vehemently on policy um, without the performative politics uh, and without the violence and without the, the social media uh, uh, presence work out compromise, meet in the middle, uh, and get things done. And there are Rep good Republicans who are capable of doing that. I think the, the silver lining in all this, as you say, is that Cheney, Kingsinger, and others, their profile has been raised, and they have a platform, and I hope that they'll continue uh, on that platform to try and get their party back. Mm -hmm. Do you think she'll run in 24? Uh, she doesn't invite me to her strategy meeting, so I can't say <laughs> for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm not but, invited um, either, I'll so... <laughs> uh, you know, her role on the January 6th uh, committee, uh, she was um, very assertive and principled. Mm -hmm. uh, she wanted to go further uh, than many thought that she that, that she would go. Uh, and uh, I think she's got a, an amazing platform now. I hope she continues on it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the last thing I want to ask you about is the bookstore. Uh, as, as someone who is a partner in a candy store in Rhinebeck, New York, uh, Samuel Sweet Shop, I'm going to make a shameless plug, uh, samuelsweetshop.com. Um, as someone who does have uh, a stake in a retail business, isn't it like the greatest thing? I want to understand what made you, what brought you to that business? You know, when I was in Congress, I was a voracious reader. I had a library in my office. Uh, and it was always my desire uh, to open a bookstore when I was in Congress on my schedule, no matter where I went, even if it was Afghanistan, uh, my schedule would tell me where there was a, a local bookseller. Now, I wasn't always able to get there, but bookstores were always my refuge. They were my sanctuaries. Mm -hmm. No partisan sound bites, no partisan shots, no tribalism, just books. Mm -hmm. And two years after I left Congress, uh, I found a little 1,500 square foot storefront in Oyster Bay, Long Island, my hometown. Mm -hmm. That's where Theodore Roosevelt lived. Uh, he lived literally up the street. His summer White House executive offices were across the street from my store. And I opened up Theodore's Books, theodoresbooks.com. Uh, and it has, we've been open for just over a year, and it has been the most 
extraordinary experience of my life, mm-hmm. second to serving in the United States Congress. And so I have shifts like everybody else. I'm at the store. I was there yesterday. Uh, we sell, We our emphasis is history and current affairs, but we also sell every bestseller and children's books and new releases. Uh, Congressman Schiff is coming to the store on January 12th to talk about the, uh, the January 6th commission report. We've had Doris Kearns Goodwin uh, and Eric Larson. We've got the cream of the crop in history and current mm-hmm. affairs and wonderful authors. Uh, and when people come in, we have a sign. I wish I could have put this sign outside my uh, office in Washington. The sign says, be nice or leave. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the first thing you see when you walk in. And people come not to pick an argument but to talk about a 300-page book, mm-hmm. and I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great business, I'm sure. Uh, was it uh, You've Got Mail? Was that the, the Meg Ryan movie? About yes, the, that's right. I'm sure that's one of your yeah. favorite movies. Um, I'm glad to see a local, small, independent bookseller thriving uh, in these day, day, this day and age. It's, uh, uh, although I, I do see statistics where that's like on the on – the, it's a lot of big resurgence in, among independent book booksellers. It is. Uh, um, but, so independent bookstores were just hemorrhaging, mm-hmm. uh, losing to Amazon.com and losing to uh, the big booksellers mm-hmm. and ebook. COVID, interestingly, uh, the quarantine changed that. People, after quarantining, uh, they were on sensory overload, binge right. watching television, reading ebooks. They wanted to get out of their homes. They didn't want to go to big malls or big box stores. They wanted to go to their downtowns. Mm-hmm. As they drifted back to downtowns, that created a resurgence of retail. I'm sure you experienced it mm-hmm. with your candy store. Sure did. And that surge, it was a small surge, but it was momentum uh, in retail created an opening for uh, independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were on that wave. Mm-hmm. And it's a great wave. And I, I I personally love it. I love the smell of bookstores. We have one up here in Rhinebeck. I'll give a shout out to Oblong Books. Great little place. Uh, Steve, yeah. uh, Congressman, I'm not sure what we're, what we're supposed to call you these days. Uh, Whatever you want. <laughs> I'll call you Steve. Just don't call me George Santos. That's all I ask. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, <laughs> although, who knows? You could be George Santos. We don't know, right? This, right? this whole we interview could have been like AI, right? Things. I have no idea who I'm talking to. <laughs> uh, you've been very generous with your time. Good luck to Thank you with uh, the bookstore and everything else. And I uh, hope you enjoy the holidays and uh, hope you'll come back again soon. I come back anytime and have a happy new year. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Episode 31 in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Or email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroyd. And please leave a review if you like the pod. Reviews are important. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, uh, Congressman Steve Israel. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. And we hope you'll join us again. Hope you'll join us again next time. Hope you'll have a very happy new year and have a great week. <laughs>